Well, dear friends, it's good to be back again in Moody'sburn. And uh, Graham has asked me to speak, the Lord willing, of course, not only tonight, but also for the next three Sundays. I've been seeking by Heavenly Father with regard to these meetings, and uh, I believe he's laid upon my heart uh, uh, not a series on a particular subject, but um, different subjects that I feel that we need to be conversant with uh, as Christians. And during the weeks to come, we'll be dealing with some very important subjects. And I want you to pray that God will give me wisdom and guidance. Now, next Sunday, the Lord willing, I'm going to speak to you on one of the greatest promises that God has given to us as his people. It's a wonderful promise, and uh, I'm not going to tell what it is. There's about 30,000 promises in the Bible, so you can read the whole lot of them, and so you'll be conversing uh, next Sunday. But uh, we're dealing with one of the great promises that God has given his people. And then I'm going to touch a wee bit on eschatology. Now, eschatology, as you know, is the doctrine of the last things, Bible prophecy. And I'm going to deal with a very important subject, and that is distinguishing the judgments in Scripture. And we'll be touching upon the judgment seat for Christians, the Bema seat. And the Bible clearly teaches that we shall have to stand before the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus. So we'll be touching a wee bit on eschatology. And then I feel constrained to bring to you some teaching with regard to Islam. And we shall be looking what they believe and also what they believe with regard to the person of the Lord Jesus. On Friday past, I had a phone call from uh, a secretary of a church asking if I would come along and deal exclusively with Islam. As Christians, we need to know about what Islam believes and teaches. There's over one billion people who profess to be Muslims. So what do they believe? What do they teach is Allah the same as the God that we worship? What do they believe about the person of the Lord Jesus? So we'll be dealing a wee bit with regard to the subject of Islam. Now it may surprise you this evening when I say that our subject this evening is on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You're probably saying, Stanley, have you forgotten? <laughs> Easter's come and Easter's gone. We've had Easter. The resurrection. Now, have you ever noticed in Christian churches, we all get excited at Easter time. We sing the great hymns of Easter and chorus, and we get all excited to make a song and dance about it. And then after Easter goes by, we settle down. On to Easter comes again, and then we get all excited again. 
How sad that is. The early church lived daily with regard to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And the Apostle Paul, and even after about 30 years after it happened, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. So tonight uh, we're going to have a look at uh, this great subject, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I make no apologies for preaching a resurrection message, even though Easter's come and Easter's gone. Now, turn with me, please, to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1. The Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1. Just a few verses. The former treatise have I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Now let me just stop there. That's a lovely name, Theopolis. Do you know what it means? It's made up of two Greek words. You have Theo, uh, Theos, which is one of the Greek words for God, and then Philios, which is one of the Greek words for love, because the Greek language has certain words for love. You've got agape, and then you've got uh, philios, and uh, this one is philios. And it means friend of God. What a lovely name. Theopolis, friend of God. Are you a Theopolis this evening? I hope you are a friend of God. And that's the one Paul, that uh, Luke's writing to. In verse 2, On to the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now let me give to you a rendering from the Amplified New Testament of those words. To them also he showed himself alive after his passion, by a series of many convincing demonstrations, unquestionable evidences, and infallible proofs. How significant that is. Now, let me give to you two short quotations. One from Dr. John Branchard and the other from Dr. Graham Scroggie. Here's the one from Dr. John Branchard. Some time ago, I was having a long conversation with an atheist at the University of Cape Town when I was called away to another engagement. Before leaving, I asked him one last question. What do you think of Jesus Christ? Without a moment's hesitation, he replied, I'm not sure. But I do know this, everything depends on whether or not 
he rose from the dead. What a confession to come from an atheist. It all depends on whether or not he rose from the dead. So even an atheist, they realize the implications, the importance of the Lord's resurrection. Now here's a tremendous quotation from one of my favorite authors, Dr. Graham Scroby, with regard to the resurrection. It is the best attested fact in history and the rock from which all the hammers of criticism have never chipped a single fragment. I must say hallelujah. Isn't that fantastic? It is the best attested fact in history and the rock from which all the hammers of criticism have never chipped a single fragment. And dear friends, when we come to think of the Lord's resurrection, this is something that is sure, that is definite. Not a myth, not fiction, not imagination, but an attested fact in history. Now, you step out to the streets and roads of Moody'sburn, and you stop people, and you say to them, I've got good news for you. And they say, what is it? And then you say, Jesus Christ is alive. Now, probably nine times out of ten, they would reply, and rightly so, Wonderful. What is the evidence? What is the proof? Now, I don't know if any of you have been in university and you've sat there as an undergraduate and you listened to uh, the professor speaking about a certain subject and you put your hand up and you say, excuse me, professor, can I say something? And he says, of course. And then you give to the professor a theory with regard to what he's talking about. Nine times out of ten, the, the professor would say, that's very interesting. What's the evidence? What's the proof? And if you haven't got the evidence, and if you haven't got the proof, uh, well, he won't think much of the theory that you are propounding. And the unsaved outside, they have every right to ask you and to ask me, what's your evidence? What's your proof? You say he's alive? Well, what's the evidence? Now, it's no use you saying to him or to her, well, I've got this lovely, warm feeling within me. And when I sing, he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today, I can feel it within me. It's lovely feeling. Now you try and tell that to Professor Richard Dawkins, the militant atheist. Mr. Dawkins, I've got this lovely feeling within me. Oh no, friends. The unsaved wants something better than just a wee happy feeling you've got. They want evidence. They want proof. And thanks be to God, 
we have it. Let me give to you some of the evidence with regard to the Lord's resurrection. First of all, he was seen after he rose from the dead. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a court of law. Perhaps you've been called as a witness. I don't know, perhaps you have. You're there not to give what you think or speculate. You're there because of what you have seen or what you have heard. A witness. And when our Lord Jesus rose from the dead, there were witnesses who, first of all, they seen him after he rose from the dead. He was seen by the naked eye. That's a powerful line of proof and evidence. Now, sometimes he was seen by individuals like Peter and James and Mary Magdalene, individuals. The Lord appeared to them individually. Other times he appeared to little groups of people like the two on the road to Emmaus and to the, the 11 or 12 disciples. And on one occasion, mark this, he appeared to over 500 people on one occasion. Now, I will grant you, it is possible for one person to be deceived, or even a few people to be deceived, but surely they're not going to say all the 500 were deceived at the same time. Of course not. He was seen after he rose from the dead. Think of it. They actually saw him in his resurrection power and glory. So there's a proof, there's an evidence that would stand up in any court of law. But then secondly, we find that he was heard after he rose from the dead. He spoke to them and they heard his audible voice. Over a period of 40 days, the Lord would appear to them and he would speak to them and they would hear him speak. And oh, what an experience that must have been to hear that familiar voice of the risen Christ speaking to them. In fact, there's one dear soul and she recognized the Lord by his voice. And that was that lovely soul, Mary Magdalene. You know the story, dear, in John's Gospel, at the tomb, and when she got there, the stone rolled away. Panic stations, panic stations. And she went and she said, they have taken away the Lord, and I know not where they have put him and she lingered at the tomb when the rest had gone. She saw the vision of angels. And then she saw this person and she supposed him to be the gardener. And he said, woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? And then she said, they have taken away my Lord. 
and I know not where they have put him. And then John says, the Lord Jesus said unto her, Mary. And as soon as he, she, he, he, he said Mary, she turned round and she said, Rabboni, which means master, teacher. What happened? She recognized the Lord by just the way he would, he said her name, Mary. And as soon as she heard that, the penny dropped. He's not the gardener. It's my Lord. It's my master. It's my teacher. She recognized him by his voice. Now that would stand up in any court of law. When you told the jury, yes, I have seen and I have heard. But then thirdly, he was handled after he rose from the dead. You see, the evidence is getting even stronger. It's one thing to see, another thing to hear, but another thing when you have handled the person. And that's what happened when the Lord Jesus was here. Do you remember in Matthew 28, it says the woman... They saw him and they held him by the feet and worshipped him. You try and hold a spirit. You can't do it. But they held him by the feet and worshipped him. And then you remember Luke 24, a very lovely chapter. Suddenly Jesus appeared and they were panic stricken. He just suddenly appeared and there he was in resurrection power and glory and they thought they had seen a spirit. And he said, fear not. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Invitation. Still doubting. Still unbelieving. Here I am. Handle me. Handle me. And see. Behold my hands and my feet. That would stand up in a court of law. Seen. Heard. Handled. But then fourthly. He ate food. After he rose from the dead. Go back to Luke 24. They, cut, they didn't believe for joy that they couldn't get over it. They were excited. And then the Lord said, uh, have you any food? Have you any food? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and honeycomb. And before them, he had it. That would stand up in any code of law. He had food after he rose from the dead. Now there, briefly, dear friends, are four lines of evidence with regard to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. He was seen, he was heard, he was handled, and he partook of food after he rose from the dead. Now I want you to follow me very closely from now on, because we're going to touch upon something very interesting, but very deep. Our Lord's resurrection body 
it was a real body. It wasn't spirit or a ghost. It was a literal body, flesh and bones. It was a tangible body. It could be handled. Now we come to a very important juncture when we speak of the Lord's resurrection. Was it the same body that was crucified on the cross and buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea? That's the question, a very important question when we speak of the resurrection. And there are a number of different views with regard to this. Uh, let me refer again to Dr. Graham Scroggie, and here's what he says. What claim is there made? Not that Jesus' spirit survived death, nor that he spiritually manifested himself to the spirits of his disciples, but that he in the totality of his personality came back to them that his spirit leaving Hades again took possession of his body and raised it from the grave now that is one view but just recently I came across another interesting view that I really didn't come across before and I want to bring it before you and it's by David Pawson now David Pawson if you don't know he's one of those Bible teachers that you may not always agree with what he says or writes about but he gets you thinking and I think that's wonderful he gets you thinking and he says don't take what I say or speak check it out check it out now I'm going to give to you what he believes with regard to the resurrection I have it in front of me what was God doing when he raised Jesus from the dead I want to begin by saying that I believe that his resurrection body was not the body that they put into the grave. It was a newly created body, and the old body had simply disappeared into nothing. God can make something out of nothing, and he can return something to nothing. However, the body bore a resemblance to the old body. It still had the neoprints. It still had his facial features. It was recognizable, yet it was a new body. It was a real body, a tangible, visible body, but a body that could be made invisible and intangible at the will of the person occupying it. Now, I found that a very interesting with regard to the resurrection. i never come across that before. Have you? Perhaps you have. So you've got Dr. Graham Scroggie. He takes one view that it was the same body, but made immortal by resurrection. Whereas David Pawson, he believes 
that uh, the old body that was crucified and put in the tomb disappeared, vanished. And God created a new body for his beloved son. Let me give you another view. And this is by another favorite author of mine, Dr. Sidlow Baxter. Now here's what Sidlow says. Then he actually underwent the experience of death, the dissolution of soul and body. And as a disembodied ego, he went from the cross into Hades and preached to the departed human spirits there, after which he arose both spiritually from Hades and physically from the sepulchre. For it is for he now reoccupied the temporary dis- discarded corpse, reanimating it, not with blood again as a mortal body, but with a spiritual life force, which made it supernal and immortal. And of course, Dr. Sidney Baxter more or less agrees with Dr. Graham Scroggin along the same line. So there we have two views there could be others as to what actually happens and you know as I've been thinking of this I would give everything I have if I could get into H.G. Wells' time machine you know that fantastic time machine H.G. Wells get into the machine and you can set the dials either into the past or the future I would set the dials away to nearly 2,000 years ago. And if only I could get inside the tomb of Joseph Arimathea on that wonderful day when Jesus rose from the dead as to exactly what happens. Because the simple truth is, dear friends, no one actually saw Jesus rise from the dead from the tomb they saw him after he came out of the tomb but not actually that moment when he rose from the dead now it is my personal conviction dear friends that uh, I would disagree with David Parson and uh, I would agree along the lines of Dr. Graham Scroby and Sidlow Baxter. That our Lord Jesus, leaving Hades, we had been for three days and for three nights. And by the way, dear friends, our Lord Jesus was not crucified on Friday. Now I know over the years that is what's held traditionally, but he was not crucified on Friday. He was crucified on Thursday. Now, why do we reject uh, the Friday? Simply this. The Lord said, as Jonah was in the, in the belly of the whale for three days and for three nights, so the Son of Man shall be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. If you accept he died on Good Friday at three o'clock in the afternoon, there's no way that you can get three days and three nights between Good Friday at three o'clock and when he rose on Sunday morning. It's less than 48 hours. But Jesus plainly said he would be in 
the heart of the earth for three days and for three nights. But being crucified on Thursday, the three days and the three nights fit nicely into it. Also remember, and you must keep this in mind when you read the New Testament, that the Jewish day is different from our days. The Jewish day had two evenings. It commenced with an evening and it finished with an evening. So, for example, uh, the Sabbath, it actually commenced on Friday at sunset and it ended on Saturday at sunset. That's the Sabbath, the two evenings. So that the Lord Jesus was crucified on Thursday. He was in the tomb for those three days and for those three nights. The Sabbath passed. And then the first day came. Monday, Sunday. And of course the Jewish day. You had the 12 hours of darkness. From from 6 o'clock night time on to 6 o'clock the next day 12 hours of darkness followed by 12 hours of daylight and I believe that uh, after the Sabbath had passed uh, that our Lord Jesus he arose during the early part uh, of the night of uh, the first day of the week because it says that when they came to the tomb as the sun was rising that's interesting the darkness was passing the sun was rising but when they came to the tomb they discovered the stones rolled away not to let the saviour out but to let us in to see the tomb's empty he's not here but he's risen And oh, if I could be there, just at that moment, what happened? When his spirit, his soul, the totality of his personality left Hades, where he was for those three days and for those three nights. I believe that he came into that lifeless corpse that was lying there. And he raised it from the dead, immortal, incorruptible. Do you remember what he said in John chapter 2? He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. They said, three days? We've been building Herod's temple for 46 years and you're going to raise it up. And they thought he was speaking of Herod's temple. But John says, this he said, speaking of his body. You destroy this body, and in three days I will raise it up. So that's my personal conviction, dear friends. Now, as David Parson says, don't take my word for it. Check it out. Test it by the scriptures. But that is what I believe, dear friends. That our blessed Lord, leaving Hades, came into that lifeless corpse by the mighty power of God. And he raised it. 
That is a mortal body of flesh and blood because Jesus said, A spirit hath not flesh and bones. You see, it was flesh and bones, not flesh and blood. There's a difference. This was an immortal body, an incorruptible body that was in resurrection power and glory. And that was the body that our Lord Jesus appeared to those disciples. See the prince of the nails. Put your hand in the gouge on the side. The same body, but immortal, incorruptible, resurrected with power. And I've got good news for you, dear friends. If the Lord Jesus has not come in your lifetime and my lifetime, well, you're going to die. That's not being morbid. That's, that's facing facts. You're going to die. But if you do die, when that trumpet sounds and the voice of the archangel is heard, you are going to get priority. Because the Bible says, the dead in Christ shall rise first. So you'll get priority. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And the body you're going to get is going to be like unto our Lord's resurrection body. Don't take my word for it. Here's what Paul says. He says our citizenship is in heaven. From whence we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile bodies, that they might be fashioned like unto his glorious body. What a hope. What a prospect. Your body raised from death and changed into his glorious body. No more aches and pains. No more rheumatism. No more heart attacks. No more tiredness. No more fatigueness. And here's an interesting thought. Again, you'll have to check this out. Some believe that uh, your resurrection body is going to be like uh, what you were like when you were 33 years of age. Now, for some of you, you'll have to go back a long time. Now, some believe that is the Lord Jesus died when he was 33. And some believe, just a thought, that uh, you shall be like what you were like when you're 33, but changed, immortal, incorruptible. Now you're probably saying, what kind of heresy is this? <laughs> That's only a thought, friends. Check it out. It could happen. But we know that it's going to be like unto his glorious body. Now here's something to chew about and think about when you're having your drink in cocoa or whatever you drink before you go to sleep tonight. Is your resurrection body going to be identical with his in every detail? Or is it going to be like unto his body? You see, the Bible says that in all things he must have the preeminence. 
For example, will your resurrection body be able to appear and disappear like his did? Will your resurrection body be able to defy the law of gravitation as he did? Will your resurrection body be able to go through closed doors as he did? Or is it going to be like unto his glorious body? Not the same, but fashioned like unto. Oh, isn't this an exciting subject? It's absolutely marvelous. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because I live, all fear is gone. We have a living Savior. And here's what he said to poor John on the Isle of Patmos. It was the Lord's Day. And no doubt John is thinking of the churches in the mainland, Ephesus and Smyrna and those churches. But he's there by himself, a prisoner of Rome. And he had a visitor. He had a visitor. It was the Lord himself. And he said to John, John, fear not. I am he that liveth and was dead and behold I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and of Hades. What an encouragement that was that John alive forevermore. Now let me just finish with another quotation by again Dr. Graham Scroggie. And here's what he says. Faith in a dead man can save no one. Only the living Christ can do that. That's the message we have for the world outside. Not someone who lived 2,000 years ago, just a figure of history, a good teacher, a good example. But no, someone who died on the cross, yes, was buried in the tomb. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And my friend, that's your saviour, and that is my saviour. And here's the glorious truth, and I haven't tended to get into it. Because he's living, we can have a relationship with him. The poor Muslims, they can't do that with the Prophet Muhammad. He died hundreds of years ago. They can't have a relationship with him. And the founder of Buddhism, they can't have a relationship with Buddha. He's dead and gone. But this is what distinguishes Christianity from all the other religions. Our founder is alive. And because he's alive, we can have a relationship with him. We can talk to him. We can have communion with him. And uh, next Sunday night, the Lord willing, we're going to see from this wonderful promise 